2: Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug LaMaurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Shahan off, which means I need help, which means we have one of the very best writers in college football who's been doing it for a long time. I've known him for a long time. It's Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. And on this episode, we are going to talk about Washington, national title contender, we're going to talk about Oregon State, really interesting team. Nick Daschle from OregonLive.com is going to join us for that. But we're going to start off with Colorado. This is a playoff show, but we want to talk about Colorado because, Adam, and by the way, thanks for your time, man. Good to see you.
0: It's great to see you, my friend. Um, yeah, we have a lot to discuss. So let's let's get into it with the Buffs and Coach Prime.
2: So it's a playoff show. You were You went out there. You went to Colorado and did a story on Deion Sanders and the new era at Colorado. You were there in February. We watched the spring game this past Saturday. It is news. Colorado is news. Colorado is exciting. Their, their previous spring game record crowd was 17,800. They drew 45, 46, 47,000 people to the spring game. The spring game was on ESPN. People are fired up, but all the players are leaving. So it is a pretty remarkable thing Monday and Tuesday of this week, 23 players from Colorado entered the portal. It's almost 50 players who have entered the portal since Deion Sanders took over in December. And I don't know, there might be five more by the time we get done recording here. Adam, in 1954, Bear Bryant showed up at Texas A&M and took everybody out in the field and denied them water for a week and said, run around until you drop. And there might have been 100 or so players that started off. There were 38 By the time he was done, they called him the Junction Boys, and they wrote a book, and they made a movie, and it made Bear Bryant famous. And they were one in nine his first year at Texas A and M, and by year three they were nine zero and one. And he's Bear Bryant, and in the fifties that's what you did: you come in somewhere new, you run everybody until they're dehydrated, and you see who leaves. So these, this is Dion Sanders. These are the Louis Boys. They aren't the Junction Boys. They're the Louis Vuitton Boys, right? Dion says at the first meeting. I brought my luggage and it's Louie. Jump in that portal if you want to. And guys are jumping in, slash, being pushed into the portal, Adam. Sometimes we love stories like this. Hey, new sheriff in town. You're going to run the program your way. By the way, Colorado was terrible last year. But also, these are people and these are lives. What are we to make of nearly 50 guys in the portal since Deion Sanders got there? Is this a guy turning around a program the old school way? Or is this college football not working for young men?
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of everything, Doug. It's funny you say old school because that was what struck me when I was out in Boulder talking with Dion. And I'd heard this, but to actually be in his presence, in some ways he's very old school in terms of how he runs the program and you know how he communicates to players. But he's using a very new school tactic to flip the roster. You could not do this in 2015. You can do this in 2023, even though it's upsetting a lot of people, whether it's the players who wanted to stay, who are essentially told you need to leave. I spoke to one of those players um, last night. Uh, It's upsetting other coaches who feel that this isn't serving the athletes, nor is it fair when, you know, Dion's going to fill those spots, right? And so how is he going to do it in a spring transfer window that has so far produced some good players, but not a high volume of great players? I think it's what you're going to see in the next few days are some notable names going into the portal. There was one on Tuesday night, Alton McCaskill from Houston, who was the AAC Rookie of the Year on offense back in 2021. He missed last season, With a knee injury, he surprises Dana Holgerson uh, with a meeting on Tuesday saying, hey, I'm I'm hopping in the portal. And and by Wednesday morning, shortly before we recorded this, he is, in fact, in the transfer portal. And I'm hearing that it would be very surprising if he does not end up at Colorado. There's going to be more stories like that. Um, And how does college football react to this? Uh, Coaches are not happy. I've heard from several. How does the NCAA react to this? Is this just what you do? when you have this, this luxury and you have a coach like Deion Sanders who can attract those level of players, the volume, Doug, is what stands out to me because Colorado had a, even after that, that speech, hopping the portal, I'm bringing my luggage speech, they had a fairly normal number of players go in the portal in December and January. Um, this has been a surge beginning April 15th-ish but what this player told me, who, again, was informed by his position coach, you need to transfer, he said that there was basically all these meetings early last week, and other players have corroborated this. Uh, the Athletic did a piece on this, talking to some players, that they, they, they're they just doing this purge. I mean, it's, it's exactly what it is, and then they're going to be replacing these guys with who knows, uh, and then they're going to play a season. So it's very interesting, and I don't think it's something that is sustainable. I'm curious to see if there will be any sort of, um, NCAA inquiry into what's going on. But, um, you know, Deion Sanders believes this is the best way to get Colorado good right away. He does not want to wait around. That was one thing that became very clear in our interview in Boulder is that he doesn't see year one as a incremental get to four wins, maybe get to a bowl game. He, He does not want to wait around. He wants to start winning right away. And he believes the only way to do this is to have a complete roster overhaul, which is what we're having right
2: now. So it's one of these things, the NCAA makes rules and then you have coaches who say, Hey, okay. So within the rules, we're doing this thing. Like you said, they made this thing. Now you can turn over the roster as much as you want. You can kind of tell players they're not going to play football anymore, but you keep their scholarship at the university, but these guys want to play football. So They've created this world to allow this to happen. Listen, Lincoln Riley did a version of this at USC. Mel Tucker in year two at Michigan State made a New Year's six bowl with a bunch of transfers. This is the portal. So don't make the, don't make the portal if you don't want people to use the portal. Guys like this, Nick Saban, whatever rules you make, Nick Saban more often than not is going to find a way to make the rules work for him. Deion Sanders won at Jackson State. Is going to recruit like crazy, has run a successful program, is coming to a place that hasn't won, needed a boost, and you can't turn it around by keeping all the same players who were there when you were 1 and 11. You can't just come in and be like, oh, this is our roster. Oh, good. You were 1 and 11 last year. Let me give a motivational speech and see if we can go 9 and 3 this year. That's not how it works. You got to turn over the talent. I don't know, man. Like, is this so long term? You can't do this every year, but you flip it now. He already brought in a top 25 recruiting class right away, getting there in December. You figure he's going to recruit. Is this how Deion Sanders, especially in a 12-team playoff era that we're getting in 2024, is this how Deion Sanders is going to build a playoff team at Colorado? People are going to be mad right now, but this is the beginning.
0: It's certainly the beginning. And
2: and again, I, I think you can certainly
0: criticize what's going on there, but you can't say he wasn't open about his plans he was very open and has been front and center visible content putting stuff out there messaging like like this has been like the people that have covered colorado and the people that have observed deon sanders for the last you know uh five months five plus months are not surprised that we're doing this maybe the numbers are surprising i I guess my thing with it doug i think they're going to have some good players who come in certainly some more talented players than they had last year. But is he accounting for attrition? In the Power Five, you've seen it, I've seen it at some of the best programs in the country. You get hit with a few injuries, that's a problem. And I just don't know if there's enough players to, I think he can find 35 or 40 really good players. But is that going to help them once there's a rash of injuries, which is inevitable, their schedule is very difficult. They're facing some physical teams. There's going to be injuries just because of the sport. So, do they have enough depth at certain positions to overcome? I mean, w- they don't have any linemen right now, and they don't have any receivers right now. That might change if we're having this conversation. Well, it will change if we're having this conversation in a couple of weeks, but I, I just don't know if the depth is going to be strong enough to have the type of success that he wants in year one. So, maybe it- it's a little bit, I, I don't want to say performative, but it- it's a little bit of what you said earlier that this is new. We are, we are not your, your, uh, your, your recent Colorado program. We are going to do it this way. Everybody needs to know about it. And we are building something very quickly that could be formidable in the PAC 12. I think the issue is, is that all these other programs are ahead of them and they're more established and they have developed their own players and they have better depth. Um, If Colorado can be fortunate on the injury front, I think they're going to be a lot better team this year. If they have any sort of major injury hit, regardless of what happens here in the next few weeks, I think it's going to be really tough.
2: Only four commits so far in the class of 2024 for Colorado it will be really interesting to see what they do in the high school recruiting. Because you have to imagine that Deion Sanders is going to attract people to come to Colorado, that this is happening at Colorado. I thought Auburn should have hired Deion Sanders. Like when this was percolating, it's like, all right, Dion's gonna make this leap from a success at Jackson State. okay, where's he gonna go? i thought I thought a more successful program than Colorado in the Power Five could have taken. I don't even think it would have been rolling the dice. this guy is a this guy is a known quantity who had success at a program. It's not like he's coming in off the street. He just led a program for three years, but that this is that it's going like this. This is an interesting incubator for this Adam. do you think a Deion Sanders can and will build a sustainable top-level college football team at Colorado. Do you think B, he'll do this for a couple years at Colorado and then and then a top 10, top 15 job is going to grab him and he's going to go do that? Or do you think C, this will more kind of like not exactly hit? And this will not be Deion Sanders as one of the better coaches in college football five years from now. I think all three are on the table. And we don't want to put the guy in a box, but having visited with him, having watched this so far, what's your gut? Yeah, I,
0: I think that he, I will say this, he does enjoy living in Colorado. I know that it's a little bit kind of shocking to see Deion Sanders as the head coach there, but he he really genuinely likes being there. And he hasn't played a game and hasn't dealt with a ton of local criticism, but Right now, I I think he's enjoying himself. I I don't think he's long for that job because I don't think you can win a national championship there. And I think Deion Sanders, uh, you know, uh, as an athlete who achieved everything you can achieve pretty much, uh, and wants to be at the highest levels, if he does have success, and I think he will, there will be opportunities for him at a program where you can win a national championship. I just don't think you can do that at Colorado. I I think there's not enough of a local talent base, um, and even though he is. You know, taking this approach in the portal, and I, I, I think it's going to be tough to get a a championship level level roster in Boulder. Um, so I, I think he's probably there for anywhere from three to five years, and then he bounces to a program that would better position him to win a national title. Let's let's keep in mind too, Doug. You know, Dion's mid fifties, fifty 55, 56. I think he'll be fifty six when the season starts. Um, so you know, he's 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 an older coach. I mean, he's 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 not starting at at uh, mid thirties like Lincoln Riley did or in his late thirties, like Ryan day did. Um, and so I think, you know, his, his thought process of, of, of how much he wants to win or how, or how, where, how, how long he can be at a place or, 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 or where he's going to finish his career. I think, I think he, 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 everything is accelerated. So I, I sense, I don't think he's going to be a Colorado for the rest of his career. I also think he'll be there long enough to have some real success. And then, bound to a program in the SEC big 12 who knows where where he can better position himself for a national title run
2: yeah there's a chance people could be lining up for this guy in a couple of years um is this situation then in the end and and I'm just very interested I let you know new people on the scene are very interesting and the way Dion Sanders is going about it it's a lot like in some ways it's like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan right I can remember somebody saying he's sort of like the guy you drop you drop an exotic fish in the fish tank and everybody's kind of been swimming around. And now you put in like the puffer fish or a fish that has like a bunch of pokey thorn kind of things on it. And the other fish have to react to it. You can pretend that you're just going to swim around in your tank and do the same thing, but that fish is there and he's looking at you and you have to look at him. And Jim Harbaugh came from the NFL and almost won a Super Bowl. It just kind of was a different kind of dude. And when he got to Michigan early, he's climbing trees. He's taking off a shirt. He's taking shots at people as he's building something. And now guess what? They're just a really good football program. Dion changes the fish tank, man. So you can be mad. A lot of people were kind of mad at Jim Harbaugh early on. But guess what? It worked. Didn't happen overnight, but they got much. They got better. And now they've made the final step. This is how like disruptors work. And so if people don't like this, is it, is it more about the NCAA? Are there rules that need to change? Are there coaches that need to change how they think about this? Do we have to get to a place where players have contracts more than scholarships and they're getting paid? Like there's a way to prevent players from kind of getting booted, but also, let's not pretend that coaches haven't been boot. New coaches haven't been booting players before. Maybe Dion's just doing it more. Is this telling us something about the sport that needs to change, or is it just revealing something about the sport that's always been there and is never going to change?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think th- the the difference with Dion is that there isn't any subtlety, um, and like you said, that makes people upset. Uh, it's happening in waves. It's not a slow trickle. Um, you know, I, I again, I I do have a bit of an issue when you ask these athletes to put in the time and energy to develop into your program, and then their intention is to stay, and you tell them to leave um, because you just want better players in there. I, I I have a little bit of an issue with that. I I, I I'm more on the player's side of it, where hey, if you if you voluntarily want to leave because the situation isn't working out for you, or you don't like your position coach, or um, you see a, a better opportunity elsewhere. I, I, I don't have as much of an issue than the coaches who are making a lot of money, who, uh, you know, have had the power forever. And like you said, have done this in, in more subtle ways that, than he's doing it. I, I recognize why he's doing it. I recognize how bad their roster was last year, and, and how you need um you, you need upgrades. But did, the question is: Did anyone even have a chance to impress Deion Sanders? How much interaction yeah. did he have with these players? Like, like you know, um, it, 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 yeah, sometimes when I watch Hard Knocks, you kind of fall in love with those underdog stories. But they were going to get cut all along. Like, it really didn't matter what they did in the show. And and I, I kind of, I, I guess, it, it upsets me a little bit. in you're talking to one of the players last night and hearing about maybe others who were in his shoes. They just wanted a chance to play for this guy um they wanted a chance to to you know just just let me show you what i can do and it almost felt like like this was already set months ago that after spring ball y'all are out of here we're going to bring in some really good players who we've likely tampered with uh for 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 quite some time and that's the team we're going to put out there I, I i just don't i i still like the the, uh, the, 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 developmental part of college football. And it's just not happening right now, at least at Colorado, maybe it will in the future, but it certainly isn't the plan for the 2023 Buffaloes.
2: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I think we all, right. We should be on the player's side. They're young, they're learning. They're not getting paid by the universities. Like they're in a more vulnerable situation. They only get one shot at this, but I think, I think really more it's the structure of the sport than than what Dion is doing because like Dion's sort of left now, again, all this, all this stuff in the portal it's like, Oh, you can't talk to a guy. Cause in the port until he's in the portal, but like, how do you know, how does he know to go in the portal? Unless so-, so, of course, I mean, there's tampering in every sport, but I think it's just exposing the structure of college football that sometimes it can be really harsh to the players. So good luck to all those players finding homes. The very best ones will find homes because there will be teams looking for them. The other ones, hopefully they'll find homes. Maybe it'll be at a lower level, but this is just uh, a lot of real stuff that's happening on the football side. Shadura Sanders can sling it. Can he not? I'm fascinated to see what Deion Sun as the quarterback of Colorado, you watch that guy in the spring game and you go back and watch some of his highlights at Jack, man, he throws a nice ball Adam, I mean, this is a conference in the PAC 12 with some great, great quarterbacks in 2023. But I think you can throw this guy in the mix, and you have Travis Hunter, who's a defensive back who might play a little bit of receiver. Was playing both ways in the spring game. Five-star recruit that followed Dion. I'm I'm curious to see what Shadur looks like in the Pac-12 because I think he's at least going to make some miserable Saturdays for some defensive coordinators here and there.
0: No doubt, especially in that you know Sean Lewis led offense, which is all about tempo and 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 putting your de- putting defenses on their heels. I, I did see Shadur's throw actually um, out of uniform when I was out in Boulder and he is impressive. Uh, you know, he's a real guy. You know, Travis Hunter is a real guy, but is all, are all the Jackson state guys who follow Deion Sanders to Colorado power five players? We'll find out. Right. We just don't know. And if Shadur Sanders gets hurt, what's your plan? If Travis Hunter gets right. hurt, what's your plan? So again, I, I think the starting 22 Colorado, I don't even think, I know the starting 22 Colorado puts out there in September against TCU will be much better and more talented than the starting uh, uh, 22 that played, I think it was against Utah in the final game of, of, of 2022 2022 season. That, that, that new group of starters will be better. I don't know if the overall roster is going to be strong enough to hold its own in undoubtedly an improving Pac-12 where there's really no gimmies, very few gimmies, if any, on the schedule. Colorado's overall schedule is not easy. Um, so this is going to be really interesting, right? This is the, the, I think one of the differences you brought up Auburn, Doug, you know, whoever hired Dion had to be okay with this Mm. Colorado, Rick George, their, their administration, Phil DeStefano, their chancellor, they can't be sitting here on April 26th with some of the criticism that's coming out in light of the, the transfer purge and, and go, Oh my God, I didn't see this coming. Why did we hire this guy? Um, uh, he didn't tell us he was going to do this. No, Dion to- told you exactly what he was going to do. And you signed off on it. I don't know if Auburn, even though Auburn has done some interesting things over the course of his history, was willing to turn the program over to Dion in a way that you, you don't see happen very often. Colorado was. And that was a big part of the story that we did for ESPN.com coming out of that trip I took, which was administrators saying, Hey, if we went four and eight last year, if we went five and seven. Deion Sanders is probably not our coach. We went one in 11. We hit rock bottom. And that forced us to open up our our minds to the idea of bringing in somebody who is different, who's a disruptor, as you said, turning everything over to him and letting him do it his way. And we're going to roll with it. And we're going to roll with the good. 47,000 at the spring game. You and I spending a playoff uh, podcast here talking about Colorado. And we're also going to roll with the with the, you know, the bad or the risk, which what's what, what, what are, are people going to look into what's happening? Is this all above board? You have to be OK with that. I don't think Auburn was there. Colorado got there because they were so bad on the field.
2: I can remember in uh, the 2019 season, I was talking to Mel Tucker on the phone for a story that I was doing in Mel Tucker in his first year at at Colorado had been an established coach who should have been a head coach long before he got the the opportunity at Colorado and he's sitting there and he's saying, man, I'm looking out my window and I'm looking at the, at the Rocky mountains and I couldn't be happier. And what a great opportunity I have here at Colorado. And he's at Michigan state the next year because he got an offer. He's a big 10 guy. He got an offer. He couldn't refuse. And then they go to Coral Durrell and the kind of tanks and they wind up at one and 11. And so Colorado has been through some stuff, right? And so this does feel like the place to say, hey, let's do this. And again, he's not coming in off the street. Deion Sanders led a successful program and has an idea of how he wants to go about this. So we will continue to watch this. The reason we talk, we're talking about on a playoff show is because, A, it's happening right now and it's, and it's interesting. But because if I think Deion Sanders will coach in the playoff before he retires. In a 12-team playoff universe, I think he will do that at least once, which is why it's worth talking about. And it's funny that you remind us he's in his mid-50s. He seems like he's in his mid-30s. And he's part of our consciousness. And he has such energy. And he looks young. And it's an interesting point that you made, Adam, because he doesn't have 25 years to build this slowly. If Dion wants to make an impact, he's kind of got to do it quickly. But I I don't know. Deion Sanders, playoff coach You on board.
0: I think it's quite possible because of his ability to attract talent. Now I want to see how he coaches in the power five, how he rolls with a schedule where you're not going to just be better than most of your opponents. Like they were at Jackson state. And part of that was that he attracted players who with all due respect to Jackson state shouldn't have been at Jackson state. They should have been somewhere right. a, 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 either in the power five or at good group of five programs. He's not going to walk out there, Doug, against Oregon, a team that I just visited, or USC, or or TCU, the team that played for a national title uh, last year in September, with the more talented team always. So how does he adjust to that? And then if it doesn't go well this year, how does he build so it gets better to where he can ultimately get that right mix of, of, of of players and scheme and luck, all those things to vault a Colorado into the, the playoff, into the expanded playoff. I think the expanded playoff absolutely works in favor of programs like Colorado that would have had a very hard time, if not an impossible time, making it in a four-team system. So I, I, I think there is a chance. Um, I, I do want to hold out to see how this uh, evolves. It's really interesting, though, what you said about Dion and, and what we think of him and what he is. Because, like I said, being with him, you get a bit of that old school. Um, and I also asked him about, why do you do all this content, man? I mean, you didn't grow up with social media. I didn't grow up with social media. And he's just talked about it, how natural it is for him to be on camera all the time. His his son, Dion Jr., is following him around with a camera always. You know, they're creating content always. And he's comfortable with it. There was a moment, though, uh, after our interview, I, I was with um, one of the uh, uh, athletic communications people. We were walking in, in the facility. And Dion, I think, was going out to lunch or something, and he and he was there with with one of his aides, and he had the hat on, he had the shades on, and for those of us who remember him as a player, like that, I was like, dude, it's prime, man, that's prime time. I mean, you you just have a reaction to that, and you think of him as 1992 Dion, not 2023 Dion, uh, because that that that's still very much fresh in in, in our minds, um, and so he has that ability. Uh, with that energy and who he is and the personality um to you know kind of be almost ageless, which is really interesting, but the reality is he 's probably not going to coach for twenty years he 's probably going to coach for ten years, maybe um maybe not a whole lot longer than that, so there is a ticking clock as far as getting to a place where he can ultimately um uh, compete for a national championship we 'll see if that clock expires at Colorado and he moves somewhere else or Maybe he does get it done at a program that still remembers, and you and I remember, we're old enough to remember, Colorado being in that national conversation and winning a national championship.
2: All right, we could do six hours on Colorado, but we want to move to some other teams that are a little more immediate playoff contenders right now. We're going to have Nick Dashel coming up to talk about Oregon State, but you also were at Oregon State, Adam. I want to get you on this, and you also have been at Wisconsin, and I want to link them here quickly because Uh, A couple months ago, Shahan and I on this show were talking about like, hey, who could be like the TCU? TCU gave a great model for programs. Cincinnati did a similar thing, but TCU did it in a Power 5 conference, which is good talent, maybe not great talent, but you're you're tough, you're smart, you win close games, you get a little luck, and you're good enough in in year one of a coach. So we're kind of looking for some things. Jonathan Smith at Oregon State obviously is not in year one. He's in year six. But if we're looking for like a good program that in a right situation could be a TCU type of team in 2023, I'll give you Oregon State and the Pac-12 that's going to be a fist fight every weekend. Well, not a fist fight. It's going to be like a kickboxing with guys doing something where they, you throw the ball a lot. Great quarterbacks to the Pac-12. Or I'll give you Wisconsin. Luke Fickle rebuilding Wisconsin, and that's where Shahan went. We were doing some first-year coach stuff. Could Luke Fickle at Wisconsin do what Sonny Dykes did at TCU? But I'm talking program. Oregon State and Wisconsin, with with the season Oregon State's coming off and with what Wisconsin has been at its peak, I don't know. Nobody's saying they're USC or Ohio State or Michigan. But which of those two programs, from what you see, Adam, has the better chance to peak all the way into a real playoff run in 2023?
0: I think it's Wisconsin just because they've been closer. And if this offensive shift works, now let me preface this by saying I have talked to a number of coaches who have been connected to Wisconsin or who have observed Wisconsin over the years who don't believe it's going to work, and certainly not in year one. So let me preface it by saying that. But in watching them practice and seeing how different they are offensively under Phil Longo with the Air Raid, the Tanner Mordecai at quarterback, Rotating in a number of receivers, the personnel groupings, snapping the ball with. I mean, Doug, you're going to see Ohio State play Wisconsin where Wisconsin snaps the ball with 25 seconds left on the play clock. Ohio State is going to be the slower tempo offense by a long shot against Wisconsin. I just don't know if that's going to work. But if it does, with the way that their schedule falls and their track record on defense under multiple coordinators, because keep in mind, well, Jim Leonard did a terrific job there, and some people still think he should have been. Uh, given the head coaching job, uh, in spite of Luke Fickle, and, and Luke obviously has a tremendous reputation, they were go- they've were good; they been good on defense, elite on defense, uh, for multiple coordinators now. They were under Jim Leonard, they were under Justin Wilcox, and it really started when Dave Aranda was there, Dave's obviously now at Baylor, and Justin is at Cal. So Wisconsin's defense will be good. I don't know if that offense is going to click, but if it does, in in a conference, and especially in a division, you're still going to have a Big Ten West division likely for the last time in 2023. That can help Wisconsin get close to a playoff because you get to the Big Ten championship game, then you have that opportunity. Yes, you're likely facing Ohio State, Michigan, or Penn State, but you just have to win one game to get there. The problem for Oregon State, and, I did, and I, that swing I did, I also stopped at Oregon and, and, and Washington. I, I just don't think that they're in the top three in the Pac-12. I have great respect for Jonathan Smith and their coaching staff, and so do a lot of other coaches I talk to. I'm sure coaches you talk to, if you if you ask them about Oregon, oh, I love Oregon State. I love their stuff. I love watching them. But I just don't think that they're talented enough, especially with some of the players that they lost. They're going to ha- likely have multiple players um, selected in the NFL draft from the, the secondary over the weekend. Luke Musgrave, their tight end, only played two games, so it wasn't really a factor last fall, but he's a loss. Uh, he'll probably be a second-round pick coming out of Oregon State. Omar Spates, who is their best defensive player overall, transferred to LSU. Certainly NIL opportunities factored into that, but also the chance to play for a premier program. So backfilling those spots is going to be tough. And while I'm fascinated to see how DJ Ongolile performs, if he is indeed the starting quarterback, for a team that won 10 games essentially without much from the quarterback last year, I, I think he has a long way to go. And DJ was honest with me about his learning curve. Uh, picking up a very, very different offense, a more complex offense. So I, I just, you know, if I, if I have to rank the Pac-12, I think there's five legitimate Pac-12 title contenders this year. USC, Utah, obviously, that won the league the last two years, Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State. I have a hard time putting Oregon State in the top three of that group. I, I think that, you know, you, you have to start with Utah, and then I look at USC and Washington as as being kind of a cut above the the other two the the oregon schools could it happen absolutely but i would go with wisconsin versus oregon state in that comparison
2: all right let's talk a little more oregon state we'll do that next with nick daschle on the college football survivor show and then we'll bring adam back and dive into the washington huskies all of that next after this The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Joined now by Nick Daschle from OregonLive.com, covers Oregon State football. And here we are, Nick, on a playoff podcast talking about Oregon State football because Oregon State football is now this good. And you and I were talking just before we came on. Jonathan Smith, his first game as the head coach of the Beavers, 77 to 31 at Ohio State. And where Oregon State is now, the job that he has done is this year 5 for Jonathan Smith, is that right? This is this will be year 6. Year 6. How how can you describe the gap between where the program was when he got here and what kind of program Oregon State is now?
1: Well, the the biggest the biggest change or development of this program isn't really the offense. I mean, he's always been able to have get some offense out of the state. It's it's the defense. I mean, when they played Ohio State, I mean, it was, they, that season. That was Jonathan's first. They were the worst. They were, I think, they were one thirty out of one thirty one in um, in total defense. They, they were the worst. They were the worst power five defense in the country by a mile they couldn't they their defensive line was so poor they just couldn't they couldn't slow down any offensive lines well you know fast forward to last year they had the they had the best defense in the Pac 12 and they're going to have a pretty good defense again this year they, that 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 is where Oregon State football has has really taken a big step under Jonathan Smith is is the defensive side of the ball
2: how how did he do it is it are they recruiting better guys is it Development is it scheme? What is it that has allowed them to make that kind of leap?
1: Well, it's it's a combination of things. You know, obviously, the the talent is he's increased the talent over over the course of time with recruiting, and he's made some selective uh, transfer portal you know signings. And you know, initially the defensive coaches he still has it's still in place. Year six, he's got his defensive line coach, he's got his inside linebackers coach, he's got his and his secondary coach are all there. The the one big change they've made is the defensive coordinator. After it was year four, which have been two thousand twenty one, he did fire his defensive coordinator ten games into the season, nine games into the season, and replaced him with Trent Bray, who's the who is the inside linebackers coach. And he's made a huge difference. in, in just they're aggressive; they 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 keep teams off balance. You don't know where they're coming from a lot of the time. And last year, the defense just took a monster monster step forward. And I could see them being close to as good, even though they lost they lost two guys that are going to be probably be NFL corners next year and, and an inside linebacker to LSU, I think they're going to be close to as good as they were last year on defense. It is remarkable the football outsiders defensive metric
2: 2018, 129th in the nation last year thirteenth. I mean it, it is it is a it's a sea change. It's unbelievable. So much credit to Jonathan Smith for what he's doing there. Let's stay on the defensive side then, Nick. I know Jonathan Smith on the broadcast of the spring game said I think in the trenches I, and I'm sure he means on both sides of the ball because we know how good the the offensive tackles and the offensive line are going to be and coming off the edge like there it's as good as it's been. Like this is you're saying they've established now a defensive foundation, but are there a couple individual guys that are going to allow this defense to maintain that, especially maybe up front, getting after the quarterback?
1: You know, not so much, not so much on the, it's just the quality of the defensive line is so much better. They don't have like one guy that you say, boy, he's going to be, he's going to be in the NFL, you know, two years from now, you you can see it. They just have a lot of, you know, maybe a little, I'm not going to say undersized, but smaller, quicker type tackles and ends. And they've built up their outside linebackers to where, you know, they're they're pretty effective up front and they're allowing their inside linebackers to make plays. The, their inside linebackers the last couple of years have, they've been among the top five or six in the conference in tackles. So that's, that's their goal is to get these guys, you know, making the plays because the defensive line's allowing it to happen. And this year they've got, you know, they've got some seniors up front. They've got some younger guys that they're real promising. I think they go six or seven deep, you know, along their defensive line. And I, I could see all of them playing. But again, none of them are going to be first or second round NFL draft picks. They're just all pretty good.
2: Offensive line in a world where we're in this portal season and it seems like everybody in the country is looking for offensive tackles. Uh Oregon State has two of the best offensive tackles in the country, and Joshua Gray and Talisa Fuwaga. Am I saying that right? Am I close there, Nick? Uh, I just gone Tali. <laughs> oh well, Tali Fuwaga. So th- these are two legit guys. How good can this offensive line be for Oregon State this year? Because those are two guys. I think I think Alabama would take those guys right now. Ohio State certainly would take a couple of those guys. We did a podcast a couple episodes ago, Nick where my, my co-host and I were making fake trades, and I was trading people to Oregon State to get one of those tackles for Ohio State because of how good those two are. How good might this offensive line be?
1: They, I mean, they were one of the top probably 15 or 20 lines in the country last year. And I, I mean, I don't see them taking a step back this year. I, I think they're going to be every bit as good as they were a year ago. They only lost Brandon Kipper, offensive guard, who will get a shot in the NFL. I don't know that he'll make it, but he'll be in a camp. Other than that, they've got and everybody that's going to start actually has starting experience. There's two guys that played a lot at at right guard the last couple of years, and so the, those five five guys they're going to have all have, you know, I think they all have double digit number of starts under their belt. But yeah, it starts with Gray and, and Fuaga. They they're both going to be NFL tackles someday. Um, that that's I mean that's one of the big biggest difference between that and the defensive line. They have guys you know are going to be playing at the next level for sure. And their center is a, is a senior who's been in the program six years. You know he knows he, he knows everything about the system. You know the guards are experienced. They picked up one guy off the transfer portal from Nevada who who started two years for them. I mean, the only problem with this offensive line is the backups just don't get any time because he's got. First of all, they've been playing so long, and they don't get hurt. And one of these years, you, you, you think they're going to have some injury, but they just, they just, they don't ever seem to miss much of a beat along the along their starting front. So Nick, this is a playoff show.
2: And I want to talk about Oregon State because I don't think this is impossible. And if we look at the TCU model of, hey, you're a good program, but do people really think you're going to make a leap like that? Are we really talking about a depth of talent across the board with NFL guys to compete with Georgia and Alabama and USC and Ohio State and those guys? And TCU showed you how to do it. You play smart, you win close games and look at what can happen. When you look at Oregon State this year, my co-host, Shahan, constantly loves the idea of that Oregon State beat Oregon 38-34 last year in a game in which Oregon State passed for 60 yards. It's a remarkable thing to do because Oregon's really good. Oregon State wins that game, throwing for 60 yards. When you add DJ Uyunglele into this mix, Nick, with this defense that is established there, with what DJ, the, the talent that is there, and we're going to talk about Aiden Childs in a second, what could more dynamic quarterback play do for this program, and how has DJ looked in the
1: spring? Well, there's no question if they get a little bit more out of their quarterback position, this team is is better. They, they that was, I I I feel a little bad saying that the quarterback position held them back last year because Ben Galbertson, he did what they needed him to do. They they they're a run first team. He he didn't make a lot. He didn't make a ton of mistakes, and when he needed to make plays, I mean, he made them late in games. They pulled out a couple of wins that maybe they shouldn't have had that that Galbranson was responsible for. So he's not he's not terrible. Uh, DJ has looked okay. I'm not going to say he looks great. He just doesn't. But he's he's just he's just been here. He's never played under center, so he's got to learn all that stuff. He's playing in a completely different offense, so he's got to learn all that stuff. So let's see what happens come. Come August. But, but I mean, it's not. I, I you sound like a homer if you're, if you're pimping Oregon State as a, as a playoff team, but it's, it's just not that far fetched. I mean, they should win their first four games. Then they got Utah at home on a Friday night. I mean, that place is going to be, it's going to be jacked up. They win that game. They're five and oh. I mean, shoot. They've they've got Cal they could go into their bye seven and zero if they can get through that Utah game I think and then and then we'll see what happens from there but it's not impossible the schedule sets up pretty well some of their their easier ro- easier conference games are on the road this year and and their tougher conference games are at home so it, the only you know game you'd you'd want to have at home that you don't is Oregon that's but that's the last game of the season and that's you know, a long ways from now but shoot I, I mean. Would there's a lot no crazier things that could happen. I mean, it, it it's real. It's I wouldn't bet on it, but it's it, it's a possibility. The the biggest problem is that the Pac-12 is going to be good. So Washington's going to be good. Oregon's going
2: to be good. USC's going to be good. Utah's going to be good. UCLA might start a freshman quarterback, but they might be pretty good. Like this is it's going to be hard for anybody to get through. But again, TCU did it last year by being tough and smart and you win close games. You can get a little luck, and all of a sudden, look at where you are. I, I, feels very much like Oregon State can be competitive there I know on the on the broadcast Jonathan Smith talking a little bit about the explosiveness offensively looks like there's a deep running back room like are there some playmakers here Nick that can help elevate if, if you do get a little more out of the quarterback position are there some guys at running back and receiver that that showed some stuff this spring or last year that can help this offense go
1: well the 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 running backs are exactly the same as a year ago. They they returned the entire they return return the entire top 4 from a year ago and they were I think they were second in the conference in rushing. Um they return the co the the co-offensive uh, freshman of the year in the conference Damian Martinez at running back. He would have went for 1000 yards if he hadn't got hurt in the first quarter of the of the bowl game. Um they've got you know Deshaun Fenwick who's a he's just a powerful back that's a he's a great offset to to Martinez they've got Jam Griffin who transferred from Georgia Tech who's a good outside explosive runner they've got all the weapons they need in the backfield it's it's what do they have outside i'm not going to say the receiving core is great yet it's 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 on the smaller side what they do have though is they've got a really they got an above average group of tight ends this year that, that can get downfield and make plays downfield. And, and those guys are all six, six. So they do have some size at tight end. And if you can get those guys downfield, I mean, just going back to last season a little bit. I mean, they, they did all this last year without Luke Musgrave, who's going to be a first or second round pick in the NFL draft at, at tight end. You get these guys together and if they can be Musgrave like, you know, as, as a group, um, I mean, shoot that 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 could be the difference right there if you can get one of these quarterbacks can get the ball downfield to him a little bit.
2: Nick it's it's always hard sometimes expectations can overwhelm programs that aren't accustomed to them when you have a, a season like Oregon State did. 10 and 3 last year including a 30 to 3 win over Florida in the bowl game when uh, Anthony Richardson get, didn't play and you you just knew. You just knew. I think it was my number one bull bet, my bull pick You knew Oregon State was going to win that game. To come off of that, what was the vibe this spring coming off a 10-win season that was so successful when, when so many valuable pieces from that are back? What are fans thinking? How was Jonathan Smith talking about it? And do you think, you know, here we are. We're talking about Oregon State. Will they be able to handle that, or will that be a challenge for them?
1: Well, that's, that's been a theme I've kind of been harping on a little bit this spring is that, you know, it's one thing to win 10 games when nobody expects you to. It's another thing to repeat something like that when you're a program that is not used to success. And I mean, they lost some leaders off that team. There's no doubt about it. They're this, they five or six guys. Most of, I think all their captains are gone. One of them actually is at Ohio state, the quarterback, Tristan Jebbia, yeah. um, So they got to develop new leadership. I think they got it. But, you know, until we get to August, we'll find out. Because, I mean, as everybody knows, it's May, June, July. That's when teams really find out what they're made of. Because if you don't put in the work in those months, you're you're behind. And you got to have those leaders getting those guys out of bed, getting them to lifts, getting to run, run the place, things like that. I think they got the leaders. But, you know, that's a question mark. I mean, as for the fan base, phew, I mean, they're fans. Of course, they, they expect ten wins next year or more. I mean, there's just no, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, uh, will they be disappointed if the team wins eight or nine? A little bit, they that where it would fall off is if they, you know, barely made a bowl game or something like that. But, but the expectations are they're going to make a run at the Pac-12 title game. That's that's what the whether they make it or not, I don't know. But that's the expectation.
2: So let's look at the future a little bit because. We talked about on this podcast Aiden Childs on signing day when he became an Oregon State Beaver and going around the country as we look at some spring games. You know, there have been some freshman quarterbacks at other places who who were a little rough in the spring game. Arch Manning wasn't great at Texas, Malachi Nelson wasn't great at USC, Alabama played a couple true freshmen in their spring game that weren't great right away. I think what I saw of Aiden Childs, Nick. And sometimes it's just the way a guy moves, but he seemed to rip a couple throws. It feels like, to me, the two freshman quarterbacks that I've seen so far who looked the most impressive this spring were Nico Iomaleva at Tennessee and Aiden Childs at Oregon State. And we know DJ is there, but what are people thinking about the future with Aiden Childs, who is one of the 10 best quarterback recruits in the country, an L.A. kid, and just,
1: I don't know, first blush looks the part, man. What did you think, Nick? He does look the part. That's for sure. He's got a, he's something Oregon State hasn't had in quite well, I don't know if they've ever had a guy like him that can do do the dual threat thing cuz Oregon State traditionally has been a pro style type team and they've sort of slowly been morphing into finding some guys that can do both things like Chance Nolan. But Aiden Childs, I mean, he, if you watched any of the spring game, you saw what he could do with the arm and and his feet. But, you know, to think to think they're going to get something out of his next season. Uh, I mean, you, you got first of all, you got to remember who he was playing against Saturday. He didn't really see any fir- first team guy. I mean, he was seeing second and third team guys, but you could see the throws. I mean, the throws are the throws. The one he threw to Silas Bolden in the back of the end zone that was a that was a laser. Um, and, and just his ability to to escape the rush, you could see that. I mean that that that's there. But he is a hundred. He's he's thin. He needs to put on some college muscles. He's got to you know he's got to learn more of the playbook. I think they'd be crazy not to, you know, at a minimum, take advantage of those four games that you can use as a redshirt, and you know, find some packages or you know, give him, give him a quarter or half in, in a blowout or something like that, just to, you know, just to see what they got or see more of what they got. But I, I don't. I mean, I I see him being the core. He's their starting quarterback in twenty twenty four. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. It's nice to have that lined up. I mean, this is what good teams do, right?
2: You 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 have good young players, but you don't have to play them right away. So you can see what Jonathan Smith is doing. The idea that DJ Uyunglele, you know, is he going to be ever what people thought he was going to be coming out of high school as a five star, going to Clemson? Maybe not. Can he be a really good college quarterback for Oregon State this year? Absolutely, as you said, he's learning the system, he's working into that. But Nick, this is 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 it not fun when? Programs like this get back on the scene, and they have done it before. Mike Riley had success there. Dennis Erickson had success there. It's not like Oregon State's never been good at football, but I love the idea that we're talking about a program like the Beavers in this context, and it's weird as the Pac-12 is seemingly in a very precarious situation with its future. The Pac-12 has not really taken part in the playoff, in the playoff era, but man, Pac-12 football is good right now, Nick. And Oregon State's absolutely part of it. What do you think of this, rot? Don't you feel like the, the league's coming on a little bit?
1: Oh, well, there's there's no league in the country that's going to have the quarterback play the Pac-12 has. There's just no question about it. There's, there's five guys that could make a run somewhere and put themselves in the Heisman conversation at a minimum. And I don't think it's embellishing things to say this is the most anticipated season in Oregon State history, not not just because of the of possibility of what they could do, I mean, they're opening. They're opening the stadium this year. The they're, the 162 million dollar remodel of the west side is going to be finished here in July, and that place is going to look spectacular. You know, for Oregon State, well, for anybody. I mean, it's going to be a nice looking stadium, and so there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz around this program. And I mean it's it's going to be it's going to be fun to cover this team this year. I, I think I I, I I think it's going to be something I haven't seen in a while.
2: He's Nick Dashell. He covers the Beavers for OregonLive.com. Make sure you guys are going there to follow his coverage. I'm telling you, Oregon State is going to be fun this year. They were fun last year, and they're going to keep it going. Keep the Beavers on your radar if you like college football. Nick, thanks so much for taking time out here today to join us on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, thanks to Nick Dashel for joining us on the Beaves. And now let's get into Washington, who is the best team that we're talking about. We're saving them for last. Adam, you went out there and you had players talking to you about national championship. The Washington Huskies right away leaning in to national championship. Let, let me give you a little stat here before we get to Michael Penix, who's good. Uh, last year, by my count, power five receivers – With 1,000 receiving yards, I had 18 of them. 11 of them are headed to the NFL. So that leaves seven. Dorian Singer transferred from Arizona to USC. So that means six of the 18,000-yard receivers from the Power Five last year are back this year at their same schools. Malik Neighbors from LSU, he's one of them. He's good. Uh, Who's the other Arizona guy? Arizona had 2,000 yard receivers last year, and they both should have been back. But Oh, Jacob Cowling. Yep. Jacob Cowling. So he's there. Sorry. Yep. I, my handwriting's terrible. I had a C and a vowel. That's all I could read. All right. So we got those two guys. And then the other four, the other four thousand yard receivers returning to their schools this year are Marvin Harrison Jr. and Omeka Buka at Ohio State, and Rome O'Dunze and Jalen McMillan at Washington. So this is what we're talking about. Now, when Michael Penix is slinging it around and leading the nation in passing yards, you're going to have receivers who have big stats. But this is not just a good passing attack, Adam. This is what? Maybe, maybe the best, because Ohio State's breaking into a quarterback, you know, Caleb Williams and USC and Lincoln Riley, they'll throw their hat in the ring. But I don't know, man, like we got to get to the defense and the defense has to be better at Washington. But like how good all these guys came back. They had guys on the offensive side and the defensive side who could have gone to the NFL and didn't. That's where you start, I think. That's a – it's like, oh, how are you going to do this, right? All right, let's be old with good players who had options and decided to stay, but especially offensively. Two good tackles, right? There are teams in the portal right now killing for tackles. If a tackle with a heartbeat goes in the portal – There are power five playoff contenders knocking on their door in 10 seconds. Washington has two tackles they believe in. How good could the Washington offense be this year?
0: I think that's outstanding. Um, And I think what's interesting is if they can, they were a volume passing team last year. I I think if they can become a little bit more efficient in the passing game, and that was one of the reasons that Michael Penix decided to come back uh, versus going to the NFL. But if they can, they can even take that next step with, with their passing attack, uh, in terms of efficiency, they can, they certainly will be a top five offense. I mean, barring injury, it's hard to make a case, Doug, that Washington isn't a top 10 offense. And I think it's very possible that they're a top five offense. I just think that the personnel they have, the scheme they run, I think Kalen DeBoer, And and Ryan Grubb are two of the better offensive coaches in the country. Alabama tried to hire Ryan Grubb. He chose to stay at Washington as the OC there with Kalen DeBoer. So, um, yeah, if they can stay healthy, and that's always been the question with Michael Penix, although he got through last year unscathed, they will be a force offensively right up there with USC, right up there with Ohio State, and and some of the better teams in in college football. And – I, I, yeah, I, I, I was also struck by the openness. Sometimes, you know, players are, are hesitant to to, to say big goals. Michael Penix did not hesitate. When I said, Michael, what are your expectations for the season? He said national championship. You know, this is a team that didn't even make the Pac-12 championship last year. But it was a team that was playing very well down the stretch. You know, some teams, as you know, once that bowl game is over, they're relieved, the season's over, they can exhale, they're, they're excited to, to have a break. Washington wanted to keep playing. Washington felt that it was playing at an extremely high level at the end of the season. They finished in the top 10. Um, they beat Texas in their bowl game. They, they, they beat their rivals. Uh, it was a very good finish to year one under, under Kalen DeBoer, and there's certainly a feeling that they can take it to the next level. And I, th- I think what struck me in watching their practice, and thank you to the Seattle weather gods who were otherwise awful for my trip for, for keeping the rain away for a couple hours because it was beautiful out there, um, there are names, there are dudes on both sides of the ball. Like, like there, there are very few position groups, Doug, you can walk around and, and observe at a practice and, and, and not be able to identify or at least know, oh, you know, I know that name. I, I I've heard of that guy. So they, 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 they're very notable, um, throughout, throughout their team. And I think what people need to remember on the defensive side, and again, the defense played better down the stretch, but it was not a great defensive team in 2022. And it's hard to be good at both. I mean, you, you know that covering Ohio State. But Washington was a defense first team for the latter part of Chris Peterson's tenure under defensive coordinator Jimmy Lake. And then when Jimmy became the head coach, they, they remained a defense first team for a little while. And a number of those players are still there. And they take a lot of pride in what they were able to accomplish and the reputation that they built. And also the number of NFL players that Washington's produced, especially in the secondary. Washington, there are not very many programs in the last five to seven years that have produced more NFL draft picks out of the secondary than the University of Washington. So last year was a year where they got hit got hit hard by injuries, especially at the cornerback spot. So that's something to watch. Can they get better at cornerback? Asa Turner is a, is a very solid safety captain leader. Their defensive line should be outstanding. You know, Braylon Trice, who one of the better pass rushers uh, on the West Coast, he's returning. Uh, Zion, uh, uh, to, uh, to, I, I always mess up the last name. I'm going to get this right. Tupula Fatui. I just call him ZTF. Um, but uh, Zion, it, you know, is a terrific player. He, he had a he had a huge season in the in the shortened pandemic year of 2020. Um, unfortunately, was was injured in 2021 and, and played pretty well last year. So you got ZTF on one side, you got Braylon Trice on another, you got interior linemen that they like. That defensive line is going to be formidable. And then they really like their linebacking group, um, adding uh, Raylan, Goref- Raylan Goforth from USC, uh, getting some guys back from injury. So if that defense can elevate with the offense they have coming back, that's why they're my pick to win the Pac-12. Not Utah. Great respect for Utah. And maybe it's a mistake not to pick them again. Not USC why well, Washington's my pick to win that conference.
2: Football Outsiders metrics 8th in offense last year, 70th in defense. You start doing like, well, how good do they have to be? Well, they have to be good enough that they don't lose 45-38 to a 3 and 9 Arizona State team like they did last year. If they win that game, they're in the Pac-12 championship game, and if they win the Pac-12 championship game, they're probably in the playoff. Like that's the kind of thing. Whatever that metric is, Adam, don't give up 45 in a in a to a bad team that keeps you from reaching all of your goals. So I do think what you're talking about here, the two edge guys, one's a sixth year guy, one's a fifth year guy. They're both back, right? Roma Dunze at receiver easily could have gone. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, Jalen McMillan's still here. But I mean, he's a number one through and through. You go back, he was behind defenses so much last year. You look up and it's like, oh, what's happening? Oh, Michael Penix is throwing the ball 45 yards down the field. And there's a guy behind the whole secondary. Like that kind of thing. This is, This is what this looks like. And so I don't know. We'll look back at the end of the year. Was it good enough? Can you be in the 30s defensively instead of in the 70s? That kind of thing. Can you make sure, you know, give up 28 instead of 45? Because these guys are going to put up points in a big way. There's a little bit of, right? There's some options in the running back room. Again, I just think it's such a big deal. And maybe it's because dealing with Ohio State up close, they are desperate for tackles right now at Ohio State. And you can look at some teams. LSU played young tackles last year. They're back. Washington played young tackles last year. They're back. Oregon State has great tackles. If you're a team that is settled at tackle, I'm, all, I'm immediately all in on you. So if you have tackles and a veteran quarterback, right, that is a good place to start. I'm I, LSU, I thought LSU in their spring game, man. Jaden Daniels, like, again, receivers emerging. There's a lot to like about LSU. Washington reminds me of that a little bit and then just be better on defense. So the expectations, right? Sometimes you put expectations on a program that become a different program. Kalen DeBoer, that staff, again, you made the point early on, Ryan Grubb keeping him, right? Tommy Reese is at Notre Dame. Ryan Grubb could have left and been at, at, excuse me, Tommy Reese left Notre Dame for Alabama. Ryan Grubb could be at Alabama right now. We'd be saying, oh man, what's Washington want to do? You keep a guy like that, that's a huge deal with this Kalen DeBoer team. Can they handle it? Can they handle Adam Rittenberg coming in and getting good quotes about national championships and then saying, they're my pick to win the Pac-12? Can Washington handle it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think the, the, the maturity on the team, I know the coaching staff can. The maturity on the team would suggest they can. I think the thing that could get them this year is a schedule. You know, what's interesting about last year is that as great of a season that they had, you know, they, 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 you're right. They, they lost to a- a- ASU and Washington's history in Tempe is horrible. They've lost to a lot of bad Arizona state teams over the years, but that kept them out of the PAC 12 championship game. The other thing that kept them out of the PAC 12 championship game is they didn't play USC or Utah, the two teams that ended up making the PAC 12 championship game. They will be playing those teams this year. And at, you guess what? After you play Utah and USC, you get Oregon state. That's how you begin Uh, November then you end uh, end the month with 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 your rival Washington State so the month of November isn't easy the month of September isn't easy they have Boise State a team that played for a Mountain West Championship game has a heck of a defense to open the season then they go to Michigan State in week three so September is not easy plus they have Oregon coming to Husky Stadium an Oregon team that thought uh it should have won the game last year I thought I thought I also thought they should have won the game last year that they were better than Washington but um so those are a lot of losable games so i think that maturity level plus depth plus injury luck all those things have to align for this washington team to uh to achieve those goals that they set out to me and certainly within the program uh this spring
2: it does feel like they got some stuff done defensively in spring right jabbar muhammad i think by pff rankings one of the top five corners in the big 12 last year he's a transfer in from oklahoma state that helps Kalen DeBoer after the spring game talking about some of the cornerback death depth uh javion green had a good spring game They, they have a couple more names in the secondary you stay healthy there zach durfee as a guy a transfer in from a small school seemed to have a good spring maybe help out a little bit on the edge like there's just you supplement a little bit sometimes this whole portal thing anymore adam I think it feels like when you're looking for teams, you're looking for teams that supplemented smartly without necessarily building a whole team out of the portal. And I think you can see, right, Washington brought a lot of their own pieces back, added a little bit here and there, added a running back in the transfer portal, added a little bit here and there where they needed some depth and some help. But it, it feels like a comprehensive roster now, right? Because you know the offense is going to be good. And like you said, they just – they had some injuries. They had some things that went against them last year defensively, but it's not like they, they're incapable of it, right, of playing good defense. It's not like it's a dream for Washington to play good defense. They, you think they actually have a chance to do it and could really make a leap on that side of the ball, and I think they had signs of that in spring.
0: Absolutely, and, and I think it, there's an important, it's important to remember the history of what they had been defensively and how they had recruited on that side of the ball and they hadn't lost a lot of great uh, uh, recruits to the portal. You mentioned injury. And again, that hit them hard at cornerback. They did supplement that position largely uh, through the portal, but also with some development, you know, they get a guy back at linebacker Eddie Olofoshio who missed uh, the first eight games of of last season um, uh, played the final five, but he was, uh, uh, you know, preseason All-America-type player, national awards candidate at um, at linebacker. Plus, you add Raylan Goforth. You know, in talking to William Inge, who's a defensive coordinator, he he, he didn't understand why USC let Raylan Goforth go walk, especially off of a defense that that we know wasn't great last year. And obviously, injury played into that as well. But they feel like he's going to be a helpful player for them on defense. So I, they're just very veteran. And they've been recruited at a high level. And uh, and there's some options there on the defense. So I, I think sometimes you're, you're kind of making a case for a defense to be better based on hope. I think you can make the case for Washington's defense to be better based on evidence. You're not going to be, I, w- I shouldn't say you're not, there will not be very many top 10 defenses in the Pac-12. The quarterbacks are just too damn good this year. But to your point, you go from 70 to the low 30s, maybe sniff the top 25 in certain categories that can make a massive difference when you have the offense that you have coming back. So I I think that's the realistic goal. They know they're not going to shut out USC or Utah or Oregon, but if those games can be more in the, in the twenties and you're holding teams in in the, in the high twenties, low thirties, it's going to be very difficult to keep Washington under 40 points this season. So um, I I think that's, that's, that's your plan if you're Washington and I think you have the personnel to to, to do it. I think you have the coaching on that side of the ball to do it as well.
2: I have fallen under a little bit of a spell here and trying to watch spring games from all the playoff contenders around the country. It's so appealing when you have a veteran quarterback in the spring. And it's just been such an interesting spring that Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia quarterback competitions across the board. It's like, Oh, well, how's it going to go? They all went, I think, varying degrees of still some questions there. You watch Florida State and Jordan Travis and it's like, uh, you watch LSU and Jaden Daniels. It's like, uh, Caleb Williams played one drive in the USC spring game. And it's like, oh, you know, JJ McCarthy in Michigan, Michael Penix in Washington. I'm those teams right now are appealing to me, Adam, because it just is functional. You watch these offenses operate and Michael Penix and all these receivers and an offensive line that you can believe in at Washington. It just makes for a functional two hours on a Saturday afternoon in the spring where Bama's like, I don't know, do we have a quarterback? And Ohio State's like, well, you know, Devin Brown hurt his finger. I guess Accord. I don't know. And George is rolling out three different guys. I know that will change maybe by September and these programs. It's part of college football. Guys leave. you got to develop new quarterbacks. But there's a couple good programs with great returning quarterbacks that I just think are super interesting in a world where there's some teams at the very top of the sport. don't have that this year and again this is why Michael Penix and Washington they're so appealing right now
0: yeah and and, and again you know I I say this with a little bit of caution because we saw what happened with the ACC last year and they had all the returning quarterbacks and it didn't turn out to be a very good league from a quarterback standpoint but you look at what's coming back in the Pac-12 that was one of the reasons I went out there I'm sitting with Michael Penix I'm sitting with Bo Nix I mean these are dudes who have been around and have have seen a lot in their careers and both had incredible seasons in 2022. And they're back with their, with their schools. Uh, you, you look even at Texas with Quinn Ewers coming back and the hope that, that he can take a step. You know, they have Alabama early in the season. Maybe they can get Alabama uh, because Alabama won't have the same quarterback situation that, that Texas uh, has. So, um, you know, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely examples, um, you know, JJ McCarthy at Michigan, is he going to take that step? To, to help Michigan back to the playoff and ideally to have more success on that stage. Um, it is an interesting year, though, because uh, you even throw Clemson in that mix. Clemson's got a new quarterback, essentially, in Cade Klubnick, even though he played late last season and showed some promise, new coordinator and Garrett Riley. Let's see how that goes there at, at Clemson. But certainly Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State have some uncertainty. So then you look at LSU, you look at Washington, you look at Utah. I mean, Cam Rising, even though he's coming off of a major injury, he's back to lead the two-time defending champion Utah Utes in in, in that in that conference. So, um, yeah, I'm I, I agree with you though. Like in watching, uh, you know, watching Washington's practice versus Oregon State, and Oregon State does have a returning starter, the quarterback play plus all the healthy receivers, which Oregon State's really banged up at receiver right now. It, it is kind of an easier watch in, in some ways than than a team that's trying to figure it out.
2: I can't believe you dropped the ACC quarterback thing on this this Pac-12 quarterback group. Cam Rising, Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix in the Pac-12, and then what DJ Uyunglele might do at Oregon State. You're right. A year ago, Devin Leary at NC State and Brennan Armstrong at Virginia and DJ at Clemson and Sam Hartman at Wake Forest and all these guys were having the same conversation. And then got sideways for a decent number of those programs in the ACC. So it's a reminder, Adam. It's a reminder, Adam. But maybe but a little more faith in Penix and Nix and Caleb and Cam Rising. Yeah. yeah.
0: I I, I do. I mean, I, I think you look at the ACC situation, Clemson was already in kind of a weird spot offensively um Brandon Armstrong was working with the new coaching staff you never know how that's going to go it clearly did not go well at at, for him at at Virginia Devin Leary unfortunately had an injury situation so there's sort of like explain you can explain those things um and really you mentioned just a few of them you look at Jaden Delora is a dude you watch him play I mean if you want to see a fearless quarterback watch Arizona quarterback uh Jaden Delora because that guy fears absolutely nothing on the field and and is is a natural playmaker there's optimism that Cam Ward at Washington State, the chances from incarnate word will be even better year two, um, there, uh, in, 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 Pullman. And, and then Shador Sanders, yep. addition to the conference, a guy that I think both of us think will, will, will make plays. You know, UCLA, uh, I know that they're one of the few teams that's replacing a quarterback, but, you know, whether it's Dante Moore or whether it's, it, it's one of the older guys uh, on that roster, that's going to be, um, you know, potentially successful quarterback, uh, deal. So it's, it's, it is. I do have more faith in that conference, mainly because of Rising, Nix, and Penix. Those guys have done it. Uh, they have done it at a high level. And barring injury, all three should be among the, you know, the 10, 15 best quarterbacks in the country. I think in, in Penix and Nix's case, possibly among the, that top five Heisman, Heisman contender group.
2: Oregon has not yet had its spring game. That's coming up this weekend. We'll talk about Oregon more on a future edition of the College Football Survivor Show. But for now, we'll let you guys go. Adam Rittenberg carrying the load here. We appreciate all your insight, Adam. You know, we're just two Big Ten guys. And here we are having long conversations about the Pac-12. Look at how we've expanded our horizons. Good for us, right? Good for us.
0: Look at us. It's like that meme. Look at us. We're growing. Uh, I, I, I've, always, I've always been a bit of a Pac-12 guy at heart since I grew up out there. But it was, it was certainly fun to, uh, to, 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 to spend some time in the Northwest, despite literally absorbing every raindrop that could have fell in the state of Oregon for three days. So if you're going to go out there, I, 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 I want to go in the fall. I hear the weather's lovely. Um, it was not lovely when I was out there. But the football and the conversations were lovely, as was
2: this conversation, my friend. He's Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. If you care about college football, you have to be reading him. Adam Rittenberg at ESPN.com. Thanks again also to Nick Daschle of OregonLive.com. We'll be back next week with even more about teams coming off of spring football for now. For Adam and for Nick, I'm Douglas Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.